Pastor Chris's podcast. A long time ago, in a land far away, Pharaoh issued an evil edict. Every baby boy born among the Hebrews must be thrown into the Nile River. Ironically, Pharaoh's own daughter rescued one of the Hebrew boys from the river. She named him Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's royal court. The princess hired Moses' mother as his nanny. Moses grew up strong and intelligent. He received the best the royal court of Egypt could offer. Moses witnessed the terrible suffering of his own people. The injustice ate him up inside. Bitterness and anger burned within him. One day, in a fit of rage, Moses murdered an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. When his crime was discovered, Moses fled to Midian, where he worked as as a shepherd in the obscure countryside. All the ambition and promise of his youth faded until Moses was an old man. Then God looked down on the Hebrew people and knew it was time to act. God would save his people, and everyone would see God through it. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and said, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. God empowered Moses to speak boldly to Pharaoh, Let my people go. But Pharaoh was the leader of the mightiest empire in the world. He said, Who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then things fall apart. Exodus 5, verses 6 through 9, and verses 22 through 23. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. But still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out, Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. So when I think of bricks, I think of like the bricks that we have in our memorial garden. These are pretty good, hard, strong bricks. But the bricks that they used in ancient Egypt uh, for buildings like the Great Pyramids, now they they used, sometimes they used uh, limestone or granite. The Great Pyramids are built of limestone and granite, but they are also built with mud bricks made with mud and straw. And it's amazing to think, you know, you think about those 
huge pyramids that are so many thousand years old, and they're still standing today. Uh, but when they made a brick, they, they would take mud and they would mix in straw for a couple of reasons. One, the straw helped the mud to dry faster. So as the straw absorbed moisture from the mud, it would get hard faster. So the Egyptians gave straw to the Hebrew slaves and they mixed it with the mud and that would cause, they could make so many bricks um, in a day. But the bricks had to dry. Without the straw, it took them longer to dry, so the bricks weren't ready. But there's another reason that they use straw inside the bricks. It's to give it strength, tensile strength. Uh, we do this today as well. When you, know, you can mix concrete and you don't have to put anything in it to make it strong. But if you're building a bridge and you want that to be reinforced so that trucks and cars can go over it and not have it collapse, you put rebar, steel rebar in it, and it does the same thing is what the straw does inside the mud bricks. It gives it that reinforcement and strength, which is what is needed when you're building great pyramids and temples and, and big, huge um, tombs for these pharaohs in Egypt. But because Pharaoh was angry that Moses was asking uh, him to let the people go, he said, well, obviously they've got too much time on their hands. We're not going to give them any straw anymore. They're going to have to get their own straw and still make the same amount of bricks. So you can imagine how, how terrifying this was. And they were beating the foremen and the slaves because they weren't producing enough bricks. Interestingly, in the New Testament, Christians, those who follow Christ as Lord, are described as being living stones in a spiritual temple. So in Egypt, in the Old Testament, Pharaoh and the Egyptians were building these huge temples out of mud bricks and limestone and granite in order to worship false gods and idols. And they even believed that their Pharaoh was a god. And so they were building temples to worship false gods. But in the New Testament, it says that you and I are the living stones in a spiritual temple. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, or verse 4 and 5, it says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. So we are make up the stones and the bricks that build God's spiritual temple to worship the one true and living God. Now, just as God rescued the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, God rescues us from slavery to sin. When Satan has us in chains, Jesus comes and demands from the cross, let my people go. What kind of bondage are you in today? Well, because of sin, we are all in a kind of bondage until Jesus sets us free. Though we want to do what is right, there is a, a part of us inside that, that causes us to keep doing our, our things our own way. We don't defer to God. We don't do what God wants us to do. We do what we want to do. That's sin inside us that makes us do that. And Jesus came to set us free from that. Because on our own, we cannot stop doing that. We can't 
get rid of all of our past sins and, and follow God perfectly. We need God's help. And that's what Jesus came to set us free for. But what other kinds of bondage could you be in as well? Well, as part of sin, one of the things that we struggle with in our world today is racism. We uh, don't always look at people the way God looks at them. We look at someone who's black or we look at someone who is Hispanic or from another country or even from another part of our nation. And we lump them all together in a group. And we don't judge them by their character. Instead, we, jump them, we judge them by the group that they belong to. And that is a, is a real problem that some people still struggle with in our country today. And Jesus came to set us free from that sin so that we don't see people by, with worldly eyes anymore. We see them with God's eyes. And we know that they are each individuals and that they are all loved by God and that we are all created equally in God's sight. But that's not something that we can fix on our own. We need God's help in order to break that slavery, that slavery chain of racism. Other peoples may be bound up by a chain of addiction. There are some who struggle with addictions to alcohol or drugs, and it is a chain that they cannot get rid of. How many of you have known people who struggle with that and they try and they try and they try to get clean, but they cannot because it is a chain. It is a bondage that only God can set them free from. But it's not just substances in our world of technology today. Many people are addicted to pornography and this is something that they cannot break without the help of God. It is an addiction every much as strong as alcoholism or, or drugs. Other people might be uh, addicted to food. There are many people in our world, in our nation today, who are addicted to food. They eat too much of the wrong kinds of food and don't get enough exercise. And that's why obesity and heart disease is a huge problem in our nation today. And they get away, most people get away with that in America because who cares if you eat too much, right? It's almost like an American way of life. But if they ever tried to stop, how many of you have struggled to stop and to eat right? And, you, and it's almost like you can't do it. Some people are so addicted to food that it's, ever, it's, just, as, as, it's just as much of a, a chain of bondage for them as alcoholism is. For other people. Some people might find themselves in bondage to a bad marriage or a bad relationship and they feel trapped and they don't know what to do and they're afraid to do anything and they can't fix it. They can't make it better and they can't get out of it. It's like slavery to them. But Jesus came to set us free from all kinds of bondage to give us a new life and an abundant life and an everlasting life. And it's not an everlasting life of bondage, it's an everlasting life of freedom in Christ. God wants you to be free. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you could be free. So that you could leave your former slave master and go and worship the Lord who created you. So that you could go and celebrate his goodness. But here's the thing. 
Often your situation will get worse before it gets better. I had a friend, he was an older pastor, um, sort of like a mentor to me as I was a younger pastor. And he had an expression. He would say, when you are dealing with, uh, when you are following Christ and then you meet resistance and things are getting in the way, he said, that's the green light. I said, what do you mean, Ken? He said, you see, when you're on the right track and you're doing what God wants you to do, the devil doesn't like it. And he tries to throw up all kinds of resistance to stop you. He said, but that's the green light. That lets you know you're doing what God wants you to do. You're on the right track. That's the green light. So just keep right on going, doing what you know God's calling you to do. And in our life, when, when we start to follow Jesus, it's not like everything just gets better all of a sudden, immediately. You have sin in your life and you decide you're going to repent of that sin and you're going to start following Jesus. Well, guess what? The devil doesn't like that at all. He's not just going to let you go. He's going to do everything he can to stop you from following Jesus. And many times people will give their life to Christ and become a Christian and, and then they will really struggle after that. That's why it is so important when you first begin as a Christian that you need to be a part of a church, that you need to have other Christian people around you to help you because uh, you're very vulnerable at that moment. The devil's out to get you because he knows that when you first start, that's the easiest time to get you and back on his side. If you are, you know, maybe in the past you, you struggled with racism and discrimination, but then Jesus speaks to your heart and you decide you're not going to be that way anymore. You're going to let him change you and you're going to start seeing people like God sees you. That's great. But you will often meet resistance when you do that. Because guess what? Your attitudes might have changed. But that doesn't mean all of the people you used to hang around with, maybe even your family and your close friends, they might not have changed. And they see you with a different attitude and it, they don't like it. it maybe it makes them feel like they're not living the right way. It makes them uncomfortable. They may even turn their back on you. Because you've turned your back on sin. If you struggle with addiction and you decide that you are going to let the Lord change you and, 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 and free you from that addiction, does that mean your cravings are going to go away the next day? 99.99% of the time, no. You're still going to have the same temptations and cravings and, and you're going to be tempted even harder probably to fall off the wagon or however you want to express that. If you are in a bad marriage or a bad relationship and you decide you're going to make it better, does that mean that it's just all going to change overnight? No. You're probably going to have to go through some very difficult times. Either you're going to have to go to the person with whom you're having a bad relationship. You're going to say, this isn't working. We've got to do something. It may mean that you have to go sit down with your pastor or with a marriage counselor and you're going to have to sit in front of them and you're going to have to tell them all that stuff that you're so ashamed about and get it all out in front of them. And who wants to do that? 
That's difficult. It may even mean that that the, the only way forward is to separate. And that can be very, very difficult. A divorce can be very difficult. Or a separation can be very difficult. And it may be easier to just stay together and continue in the, in the bad situation that you find yourself. Because at least you know what that is. But moving forward means moving into the unknown that you can't see. Well, when you read the story, you might be like me. You might can understand why Moses complained in the 22nd verse when he says, when it says, Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your people, Lord? Why did you send me? Why does God allow things to get worse before they get better? One of the reasons is that there's evil at work in the world. Evil resists God's good. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament described a spiritual war waging all around us and even inside us. A war between God and evil spirits and evil powers. You find that in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. You can't see the war that is going on all around us, but it's going on right now. You can't see it with your physical eyes, but if you walk closely with God you can maybe begin to see it with your spiritual eyes like Paul. And you will see that things will often get worse before they get better because of the war that is going on around you. But there's more. By allowing resistance to our deliverance, God teaches us something very important. He teaches us to depend upon Him. You see, we may be tempted to try to deliver ourselves in our own ways, in our own time. Remember young Moses? What did he do? Now here is a young man. It tells us in in the uh, previous chapter that Moses was a young man. He had grown up in the royal court of Pharaoh. I imagine he had had the very best education the very best training. He had had everything that you would need. He seemed in his 20s to be the kind of person that could really change the world and make life better for the Hebrews by himself with his skill and his talent. But what did he do? It says that he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And you know, you can just know that The rage was burning inside him. He says, those are my people. Why are they doing that? We cannot let this kind of injustice stand. And in his rage, he murdered the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And how did that work out for him? He ends up being exiled. He he flees from Egypt into the boondocks out in the middle of nowhere. He leaves the most powerful empire in the world and goes into no man's land and lives in obscurity, thinking he's missed his chance. It brings to mind for me 
a lot of the rioting and stuff that we see in our nation right now over the last several months. People angry about injustice and oppression that they see. And it reminds me of Moses when he was a young man. And I understand the anger and the, 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 about the injustice and oppression. But rioting and violence is a worldly and ineffective way of addressing a problem. It's actually counterproductive. God's timing and God's methods are always the right way. But we, when we face resistance that's too big for us, we can't overcome it ourselves by our methods. Our pride is shattered. We humbly realize that we are helpless and that only God can deliver us. One of the things I hope that we never forget, that we always remember, having gone through the, this pandemic of 2020 together, is that we are not as strong and not as powerful and not as safe and secure as we think we are. We never were. We never were. But this has hopefully shattered our pride and humbled us to depend upon God. For we learn when we depend upon God, we learn that God's Holy Spirit has to work through us. It's His power, not ours. And it is also a witness to everyone when we go through difficulties. It is a witness to everyone about God. We, we, God allowed Pharaoh's heart to harden so that everyone could see God's power. The Hebrews could see it. Even the Egyptians could see it. Even Pharaoh, who thought he was a god, who ruled over the most powerful empire in the world, even Pharaoh was going to see that God is the only one who's truly in control. God is mightier than Egypt or Pharaoh. He's mightier than any problem you face in your life. You have to trust God to save you because you can't save yourself. But oftentimes, things are going to get worse before they get better. Starting next Sunday, I'll begin a new message series called The Ten Plagues of Egypt. We will see how God used ten plagues to demonstrate his superiority to every supposed power in Egypt. But today, we have to rest with the uncertainty. God sent Moses to deliver the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh said no. And he even made life harder for the Hebrews. Things often get worse before they get better. Things may get worse for you before they get better. Will you trust God to save you anyway? Will you begin to follow Christ to freedom anyway? Or will you try to keep doing it 
your way. Do you believe that God will even use your hardships to make you stronger in Him? You see, God wants you to be a living stone in His spiritual temple. You're going to be holy. You're going to be different. You're going to be experiencing an abundant life and an eternal life that you can't even imagine. But you have to trust Him to do the work, even if you're forced to make bricks without straw. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us for the ways that we've tried to do things in our own power and in our own way. Help us to learn that you are really the one that's in control. Help us to trust in you. And when things get difficult, maybe even more difficult as we try to follow you. Help us to remember those words that the Reverend Ken Stevens shared with me. That resistance, that's the green light. It shows that we're on the right track. And help us to strengthen our resolve to follow you. In the name of Christ, amen.